Zach, we're in a different spot. Now. We're in a new studio. Cooper. I feel off. I feel like our team chemistry here is it is the we, feng uh, shui. This is take is two. We had to get a little juju back with us. Uh, juju on our feet. On our feet. Slide, drop, <laughs> hit them folks on stop up in here. <laughs> yeah, new new studio. Our third studio. Yeah, we've had Zach. We've been fortunate enough to have many million dollar studios. Yeah, we always kind of play it down. Yeah, we don't talk about it much. But, but it's like, yeah. this one's. Push it's a, it's about as much as my foreign that I like to whip. <laughs> your, my foreign your car, Kia, Kia Soul, Soul. Yeah. sweet car. No, this is With a uh, an extremely intimidating horn. Beep beep. Yeah, I mean that's I've gotten pretty good at impersonating. You've gotten. It. <laughs> You've gotten I use it in public, like if I'm walking in a hallway. Oh, and yeah, just, beep, you're like, oh, there's the guy that whips Ms. the foreign. <laughs> yeah. No way. No. With the frizz, no way. But Zach, no, this is actually a room that we're just in in our church. Yeah, it's just a room. Yeah. With a table. Hopefully the acoustics are good. I don't. Yeah. Maybe, but but it's because the table at our old studio is so it's just being mahogany. Chewed it's Good. being chewed through. The mahogany is being chewed, through. and that's because there's a new addition to the Funderburg family. There's a four-legged friend, a little fluff ball, and that's what they call him these days. That is what they call him. His name is Camper, a little a little puppy. I mean, just a purebred, purebred golden retriever puppy. He is a cute little guy. And your world has been rocked. They say yeah. a baby changes everything. Does a dog change everything, <laughs> Zach? Not everything. I've thought about this a lot. Of You have a baby. It's very socially acceptable. What's it like having it. a baby, Zach? I don't I don't know. But oh, I just okay. know you're it's... Just, you're presuming. Yeah, I'm presuming that it's socially acceptable to take that baby anywhere. It's yeah. not socially acceptable to take your dog everywhere. Yeah, we were at an engagement party yeah. last night. And I did not and bring And someone my dog. brought their baby and it went and slept in the, up, in the, in yeah. the room like upstairs. Which is fine. You shouldn't have brought camper. No, and I didn't. And you didn't. That's I didn't. Good. And that's the other side of it. It's not socially acceptable. It's not acceptable at all yeah. to leave your baby at home. Right. But you can. I can leave Camper at home right. for a few hours. You know, he's fine. It's just from what I've heard, it sounds like you're. It's ripping your heart out to do so. Yeah, it is. It's hard. He's so cute. You just put him in this crate, and he's just like looking up at you. He's like, "You're seriously gonna leave me? <laughs> How old is he? He is eight weeks old. Oh, you're like talking like <laughs> so he is I mean, a baby. Him, he is young. a baby. He's a young guy. He is tiny. But the issue why we're not at our old studio because Camper's there is because Cooper is allergic to dogs. Um, doctors would say highly allergic oh. to dogs. How? What? Ha what's your reaction to dogs? What's it like? So it starts psychological. <laughs> I'm just going to No, I mean, I, I am almost a sensor. Like I can go into a house and within... 30 minutes, even if I haven't seen a dog, I will know that a dog is present. That's so tough. And it's uh, it starts. So here's here, here's the fatal flaw. If I touch dog hair and touch my eyes, I'm I'm doomed for a night of itchy eyes. Yeah, I have itchy eyes right now, actually. Oh, something so, in the air. Something it's well, it's not dog hair. No, it's ragweed. This, this, this room is this room is <laughs> yeah, ragweed. This room is safe, but. Over time, my breathing gets a little, my chest gets a little tight. Yikes. Um, when I found out I was allergic to dogs, I was like seven-ish, just running around my front yard with my neighbor's dog with no shirt on because I'm a man. <laughs> Barefoot, uh, no shirt. Yeah, just and probably some jorts. Not yeah. probably wasn't jorts, but, but I wish it was. You wore jorts on the episode of Barney you were on, right? I did, yeah. I was on an episode That's of good. That's yeah. a story for another that time. That is a story. That's, maybe, we do, maybe we do that next week. Maybe that'll be next yeah. week. But yeah, I was I was running around with my neighbor's chocolate lab. Mm, beautiful uh, just beautiful dog. Yeah. Not as beautiful as nah. Golden Retriever. Thank you for saying that. But I had literally hives all over my body. Ooh. Like all over my chest. I mean, I was just up in this dog's grill. Hives. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, we've talked about we've your talked hives about on about hives. before. Yikes. And uh I you guys have to go back and find it. I don't yeah, even know what episode I'm it's not on. Go back and find it. But I mean, Zach, I took that man to the emergency room. Yeah, it was and bad. he got a 
He just was not looking good. No, I, we, yeah. we will not post the picture on social media. No, it's because not he looks like he is a uh, leprosy patient. <laughs> good thing I was able to reach out and touch Jesus's cloak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you've been cleansed. <laughs> I was cleansed. Anyway, uh, so you find find out that you're allergic to dogs. You heard it here first on this podcast. Cooper doesn't like joy. Here's the deal, folks. No I, sprinkles, for, no dogs. For the longest time, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Are you serious? Yes, that is a true story. I did not know that. And I'm allergic to dogs. I'm allergic to cats. I'm allergic to rats. I had a pet rat, you which like, pet that sounds rat. gross, but like not like this weird albino rat or also not a sewer rat. They're actually one of the cleanest animals. And since I couldn't have a dog or a cat. <laughs> All right, we get it. We cleanest went, animals. <laughs> we, went for a, we went for a rat. I was allergic. Then got a hamster. Got this cage. Have you ever had a hamster? I uh, know. Dude, I had this cage. It was like plastic <laughs> cage tubes, not like the wiring. And it was oh. like sick because he could like burrow up. And yeah, it, it was kind of like a little playground. That mug was the most disgusting, vile thing to clean. Oh. I mean, it took probably 30 minutes, but it felt like eons of time yeah. to clean that cage. So I'm just, so I've, I've had a hermit crab. I, I had a hermit crab. And those the, uh, the limbs fell off and it died. Like that it sucks. just was in its cage and legs were just, it was like a little trail of legs yeah. left behind. There, for me, there's some things like pets, it's about the relationship. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I had hermit a hermit crab. crab wasn't crab. doing it for me. It's just, it just sits in a shell. Yeah, you don't take it for a walk. No, you don't put a leash on it. And I have seen, there was in Branson, I grew up in Branson. As yeah, you know. yeah. So basically I was, a zoo. Yeah. I was driving through a trailer park in Branson mm. and there was a lady walking a piglet on oh, a leash no. on a leash i mean that's just weird <laughs> but if that's what it i mean if you get a relationship out of that and you enjoy having a piglet i you, guess you have a piglet but we got a dog we had to switch the studio Which is, i would say the most normal pet right of probably all time i didn't get a ball python i didn't right you know. or an eagle which is well, your first choice. Well, <laughs> yeah. I was told I was not able to have an eagle, so we settled yeah. for a camper. The and dog. then lions were too expensive. Yeah. And then the whole Joe Exotic thing, you know. Right, oh, yeah, like tigers. Tiger King, yeah, I didn't want to get yeah, into all course, that. Yeah. Anyway, got a dog, and Cooper's allergic, but you're going to have to meet him at some point. I'm going to have to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my hazmat suit. <laughs> we're going to be outside in a well-ventilated area. I'll, I'll wear my mask, my COVID mask. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to meet this little, little guy. Well, he's excited. To he's my, he's well. the arch nemesis that we're like, basically, I'm supposed to love my enemies. That's why I love Camper. Because mm, he's your enemy. He's my mortal enemy. Because he could kill you. He's, in, he's invaded a place that was once safe. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Quinterberg, here with my co-host, the itchy eye himself, <laughs> Cooper. Was it believable? Cooper, McChewy. Uh, no, it wasn't. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that uh, we've had to switch it up. But it's been a while. I mean, I was I was gone last week. That's right. We had we had the the George Washington experience. Yeah, we learned a little about old GW, the old first G president, G a legend. Not George W. Not George W. The first GW, yeah, yeah, the OGG GW. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, welcome back to podcast, Cooper. Oh, it's been a, how is how it's is been a while? How was your sabbatical? <laughs> it was good. I was, just, I was good. resting on the beaches of Cancun. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't. Good for you. Anyway, Cooper. We've got an incredible episode oh, today. It's so good. It's so good to be back in the normal swing of things. Yeah, it is. I'm excited to have an interview, a, a true interview. Yeah, I, guess I mean, Q&As are fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was before that one. And uh, interesting professors mm -hmm. and things from past Dr. presidents. Wright, yeah, man. I mean, he's the GOAT. He's the man. Anyway, we have the mayor of Norman, Oklahoma, the current mayor wow. of no, uh, Norman, Oklahoma. Her name is Bria Clark. Okay. And she is also the executive director of the JCPenney Leadership Center at the University of Oklahoma. JCPenney. JCPenney. 
Do they still have stores? I don't know. Okay, it's still called that though. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I did just have When that. I was interviewing her, I did not think about them going out under. <laughs> I mean, that's okay, funny. it's great. Like maybe that's their, their their lasting impact is creating yeah. leaders. Well, I hope so. But that's what Bree is trying to do through that program and then also through uh, being the mayor of Norman. And it's been a hard year to be a mayor. I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, she took office and then kind of had to shut her city down yeah. for a little bit and I think the city of Norman is very pleased with the way she has run things, but I kind of got to talk to her a little bit about what it looks like to have a relationship between federal, state, and local governments yeah. and kind of how you do that. And because you're like, well, the president's got to make this call. The governor has to make this call. And then it's like, well, no, this this call is actually the mayor and how important it is to be on the front lines. Yeah. And I think you undervalue your mayor. Truly. It's something you do, you're like, oh, we have, I mean, I know we have one. Yeah. We have a mayor, but, but you don't understand the ins and outs of there's actual work. They do stuff. They do. And she was mentioning that too. She's like, it, the, the federal government gets all the hype, but we're the ones fixing the potholes. Mm. It's like, if we don't fix the potholes... I mean, you can't drive you're, in our city. You're going to have a flat tire. You're going to have a few flat tires. Yeah. So it was very interesting talking to her about that. And we also got to talk about kind of her journey and how she got to where she was. She worked kind of on Capitol Hill just as a staffer. And she told me, she was like, Zach, I, I thought that's what my career was going to be. Yeah. It was just as a staffer behind the scenes. And so I kind of asked her, I was like, what did it look like for you to come out of that and say, hey, I'm here and I'm going to be the mayor of Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah. So it was a very fascinating conversation. I'm so excited to share it with you, Cooper. Yeah. And just, I feel like this needs to be said. I've, I have gone on record before and said things about the state of Oklahoma. <laughs> yes. And it's not my favorite. And it's I'll, neither of our favorites. I'll stand by my statement because I'm a man of my word, but I love the people yeah. of Oklahoma. I've, well, I can't say never. The people of Oklahoma are great. Right. I, I loathe driving through. Yeah. And here's the deal. I'm getting on a tangent, so I'll just I'll just let it to rest after. We get it. I've we gotten a ticket in Oklahoma, and I'm still bitter. Yeah. I forgot about that. But here's the deal. I'm sure I she's great. She and it wasn't great. in Norman. That's right. Not in her jurisdiction. So right. without further ado, we do love Oklahoma. We, we love From her. a distance. Yes. We love our hat. <laughs> from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> I have Texas. Here's my conversation with Bria Clark. Well, Bria, thank you so much for being on and allowing me just the chance to ask you a few questions about what you're doing and your uh, your kind of insights on leadership. But first, I want you to start by just introducing yourself. Who are you? What are you up to in Norman, Oklahoma? And how did you get to where you are today? Sure. Well, my name is Bria Clark. I'm the first millennial mayor, 60th mayor, youngest female mayor for the city of Norman, which is the third largest city in the state of Oklahoma. We are a college town, home to the University of. We have about 125,000 people, and we are about 20 minutes south of Oklahoma City, which is one of my favorite things about Norman, because we get to enjoy their civic center, museums, the OKC Thunder, and not have to live with it. And uh, <laughs> we still have parades on Main Street and our own wonderful small businesses, festivals. We're a city of festivals. So that's always one of my favorite questions when I interview people is what is your favorite festival in Norman? I, I go back and forth between Medieval Fair and Music Fest. Okay. My uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law always come down for Music Fest, and so we enjoy that. But Medieval Fair is always right around my birthday. So okay. the family goes and watches the jousting and eats the turkey legs and throws the ninja stars, and it's a, a good time. That's awesome. I like to say if you're bored in Norman, it's your own fault. Because That's right. In normal times, there is always something happening. But I'm actually originally from Wichita, Kansas, born and raised. 
I got my undergraduate degree in political science and a double minor in history and English at Wichita State University. And what brought me to Norman was law school. So I like to say I I bought my first home here. I had a couple oaky babies that think red dirt is normal. So, (laughs) and before I know it, I will have lived in Norman longer than I lived in my hometown. Mm. So uh, I love it. I actually brought my, my high school sweetheart down to Norman as well. So oh. we are transplanted Kansans now raising some Oklahomans. So we are yeah. full bred Oklahoma. I love it. And you said something interesting in there. The first thing you said, you were the first millennial mayor uh, of Norman, Oklahoma. What does that, what does that mean to you to, to be the first millennial? Kind of, what does that mean to you? Well, first of all, I'm very proud of it. I, I always laugh when people are like, why do you say that? <laughs> like it's a bad thing. But I think the millennial generation is slowly but surely taking leadership positions. I've actually created a whole presentation on it that I give professionally through the JCPenney Leadership Center about that transition. But I think that the, the skill set and priorities are different for millennials versus Gen X. And of course, we're talking very broadly and, yeah. and somewhat with stereotypes and generalizations. But I think my focus on inclusivity, environmental sustainability, and, and family, and also my social media skills are, are definitely trademarks of a millennial mayor, which I, again, I'm very proud to be. Yeah, and I think generational differences are so important to understand and, and whether you're in the baby boomer all the way to millennial to now, whatever, the newest uh, Gen Z, and then under that, I guess there's even more now. Can you talk about the importance of understanding other generations and how they operate? And so you can better uh, mesh and work with people of a generation that's not in your generation. Definitely. I've actually taken classes and workshops on this because I do think it is important. I think everyone is unique, and but what was going on in the world has shaped you as a person. And as our culture has evolved, we've changed, but we all bring something to the table. And if you get millennials and Gen Z with the OK Boomer mindset, it's yeah. not going to make for a, a conduct- conducive working environment. Not so at all. I think making just like also with different political affiliations, having an opportunity to sit down together and speak and find that common ground. And obviously if you're not competing, but let's say in the workplace, everyone can contribute something, but you have to be willing to have these conversations and understand that, okay, maybe they are better at me than this. Cause I find millennials to be pretty competitive and people pleasers that, uh, Oh, come on. Uh, the okay. Boomer thing is like a perfect description of what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I, I, it was funny, but you could tell people really got their feathers ruffled. <laughs> kind of like how millennials don't like to be underestimated because of our youth. And whenever I speak to classes from fifth graders to university classes, you'll always hear me say age is not an obstacle. Your experiences are valuable. Your perspective is valuable. You don't have to wait your turn to take a leadership role. And in fact, the diversity of opinions and perspectives that you will bring to the table in any organization will make it stronger. I love that. And I love the idea and the mindset. And it's really a mindset that you have to push for is that everyone brings something to the table, no matter what generation you are, no matter where you're from, who you are, you can bring something to the table. And when leaders are able to understand that and be able to pull that out of people, I think teams and organizations can move so much faster and go so much further. I I love that. And so you also mentioned the JCPenney Leadership Center at, it's at the University of Oklahoma, correct? Right. So what do you do with them and what is that? What kind of classes do you teach? What do you do with them? Well, I have the best job on campus, first of all. I've worked at OU since 2008 after law school. 
I did practice law for a little bit, but I had my kind of foot in the door with creating a new position, which I'm no longer with, but I helped create the Office of Academic Integrity Programs, which not many people can say they created an office in a Big 12 institution. So pretty proud of that. And I get to say, when people ask, what do you teach at OU? Well, I used to teach integrity and now I teach leadership, right? Like that's such a cool thing to be able to say. So I started in the JCPenney Leadership Center in the College of Business in April of 2018. And I'm the first director to not be a business person and the first director to be an attorney. And so clearly I knew a little bit about leadership and it was a little political. And that's honestly the hardest part of the job is is the the firewall that I have to have between politics and, and being nonpartisan on campus. But I do have no qualms leveraging my network to provide cool opportunities for my students. So, for example, I teach intro to leadership and my class is only open to associates in my program, just like JCPenney. They're not members, they're associates. And we had Governor Bill Anatubby from the Chickasaw come speak with us. So it's 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 very cool. And it's it's a lot of networking. I always wanted a job. I enjoy connecting people. I fancy myself a connector, like, oh, you need to know so-and-so, or you're looking for that opportunity. I know where you can plug in easily. Yeah. And that brings me great joy. And that is what I do here. I mm-hmm. connect companies with talented students, students with a bigger network, and we make magic happen. Mm-hmm. And working on a college campus is honestly the best thing I could be doing right now, because when I get kind of frustrated and negative about the future of the the state or the nation. I just work with these amazing students and I'm like, okay, we're going to be all right. Maybe a couple of years, but we're going to be all right. And uh, it's actually been very helpful that I'm an attorney. I was surprised at how many of our business students are considering law school. Mm -hmm. OU has a JD MBA. So I always push students toward that. Go to college one more year and graduate with both degrees. Yeah. Love working at OU. I think me working here has improved the town and gown relationships that we have. You know, OU would clearly exist without Norman, and Norman would clearly exist without OU. But when we work together, both significantly better. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. What would it be like if Norman didn't have OU? Just curious. What what would Norman be like? Um, I that's it. Wouldn't be near as colorful. Yeah, I think uh, OU provides culture. Yes, we've got sports, but we have one of the top music theater programs in the nation. We've got the Fred Jones Art Museum, the Sam Noble Natural History Museum. They provide diversity. You know, so many countries are represented here. One of my favorite OU events, I'm working on this little like magnet called like the Mayor's Passport, where here's, and I'll hand it out to freshmen or even you know new people to Norman. Here are five things you have to do in the city of Norman before you leave. Here are five things you have to do on campus before you leave. Yeah. And Eve of Nations is one of my all-time, hands-down, favorite OU events. It's where the different student organizations from countries, you know, the Indian Student Association, the Chinese Student Association, work incredibly hard to put together these dances and, and different skits that embraces their culture and helps share it with us. And I can't imagine a Norman without that kind of diversity and culture. Yeah. So we are better because of the University of Oklahoma. I will tell you that right now. 
Uh, there's not a run, as, as we know. And I want to talk, kind of switch gears and talk about your role as mayor of Norman. So not only do you get to work with the college students there, you get to be the mayor of the city, which I think is such a cool connection and a way to kind of bind the two of the university with the city. Uh, but it's a, it's a local government. I want to kind of explain to people, what is the difference between local government, state government, and then the federal government? What is their relationship like and what's the difference? I'm so glad that you asked that question because I don't think Americans generally know how government works, right. let alone all three levels and how they play together, especially after the pandemic where people really were paying attention. But you could tell like, OK, well, that that's actually a county issue or, you know, hey, that's the university there or the school district. They're all political subdivisions of the state. So yeah. I don't have power over them. And honestly, with our form of local government, which is council manager, I'm essentially a glorified volunteer. I make $100 a month to be mayor, and I have no special powers besides running meetings and appointing people to boards or commissions, except in the state of emergency. And I'm telling you, after I got sworn in, I was rereading the charter to look at what my powers are, and I actually giggled to my husband, like, oh, honey, I can declare a state of emergency. <laughs> I feel like I cursed myself on that one. Yeah. But and I'll share this with you. I have a very interesting perspective on all three levels of government because as a sophomore in college, I interned at the White House under George W. Bush. As a junior in college, I interned at the Kansas State Capitol working for the majority leader in the Kansas State House of Representatives. And I honestly thought I politics was not in my future. Yeah. If it was, it was going to be as a staffer. That was where I felt very, very comfortable, behind the scenes work. Always kind of pitied the people in the spotlight. Hey, and here we are. Yeah. So how it all works together. Well, let's start from the ground up. There are multiple ways to do local government. And so Norman, as I mentioned, is a council manager form of government. And I'm going to give a business example, but we all know that you can't run government like a business. It just right. doesn't work like that, right? But if the city were a business, our city manager would be the CEO. He'd be running the day-to-day -day operations, overseeing hiring and firing of employees, getting the, the red phone and all the emergencies. But he would get his direction from his board of directors, which would be the Norman City Council. Right. And as mayor, I would be chairwoman of the board. So nice. as council, we only have one employee, and it's the city manager. So we can't go fire the chief of police or anything like that. And so that is what I think people don't understand, especially for me, because I have been kind of in the spotlight so much because of the emergency situation. Yeah. People assume it's my full-time job. And it's not. I have a full-time job and that's supposed to be volunteer, but I, I definitely have two full-time jobs. Right. So that's, I think, a big difference. And Oklahoma City, our state capital, is actually the same form of government. And many people don't realize that. Yeah. Tulsa, the middle child, of the three large cities, a strong mayor, which I loathe that phrase because that implies that everyone else is weak. A weak mayor. Though. Certainly not a weak mayor. That's right. He does have the power to veto and have executive orders, but we don't we don't do that in our formal yeah. government. Huh. And then I touched on the school district, the university, and the county, all here in Norman. We're the county seat in the state of Oklahoma for for Cleveland County and the Norman Public School District and the University of Oklahoma. Since they are political subdivisions of the state, they answer to the state, not to me. So hmm. you really got to collaborate and have good relationships with all three of those if uh, the four of us together are going to have a good working relationship. 
Luckily, through the pandemic, OU and the city of Irwin have been in lockstep. We were supported each other with mask mandates and restrictions, and I will forever be grateful for that. So that's really helped us, I think, be safe and save some lives here in Norman. And it always comes back to connections, just like what you were talking about, love and making connections. It's so huge. I can't, I can't underestimate that enough. We had an alumni the other day uh, doing a, a distinguished speaker with our program, and he was emphasizing the importance of networking as well. And I think he used the phrase, it's not the grades you make, it's the hands hand you shake. That's right. That's good. That's good. I, I do like that. Yeah, and I'm sure as a professor, you really like hearing that as well, all your students hearing that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I only teach one class, so I'm, I'm, I'm a professor, but I think uh, I tell my students, my class is not an easy one, but it's not as academic. You know, we have a lot more guest speakers, and it's a lot more practical and hands-on learning, which I value. But for state government, this is a tricky part because you'll hear the phrase often, local control. And the state government has recently had lots of bills kind of, you know, telling the federal government to back off local control matters. Yet at the same time, they have many other bills that deal with preemption. And preemption is when a higher level of government tells a lower level of government what they can and cannot do. And so I find it completely ironic and, and honestly hypocritical that our state government can wave the local control banner to the federal government, but then pass preemption law after preemption law and stop cities from governing in the way that, that we see fit, which no one is more close to their constituents than local government. Yeah. You know, if, if someone wants to yell at Congressman Cole or Governor Stitt, it's usually an email or a voicemail to a staffer. They'll run into me at the grocery store and yeah. I get in here face to face. Yeah. So it's a lot different. And that's why I get so upset about preemption. If anyone knows their constituents, it's local government. Our kids go to the same schools, we drive on the same roads, we play in the same parks. Let us do our job. And mm -hmm. so that's my my biggest concern about the state government. Then you get federal government, which gets all the fanfare and hullabaloo right. for their elections. Right. The decisions that cities make, and for Norman, it's the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, affect people's everyday lives way faster than decisions made at the federal level. It's just not as sexy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and we're a nonpartisan government. I think everyone knows what team you play on, but I love the phrase, partisan politics don't fill potholes. We're not talking about the big, hairy political issues like guns and abortion, not at the city level. We're basically making sure your trash gets picked up, the potholes are filled, yeah. the police show up when you call them, you know, and the basic services that if they weren't there, you would notice it. So I might be a little partial, but I do think local government is the most important level of government in American government overall. Oh, and it just goes back to what we were talking about earlier with generational differences. You can't have one without the other, and everything brings something to the table that matters. And if nobody was fixing the potholes, we'd have a lot of flat tires, which would keep the body part, the uh, the uh, auto shops in business, but the constituents not very happy. And obviously, this has been a hard year, and it's been a year where leaders of all local, state, and federal uh, levels have had to make hard decisions. And and so for you, when you're having to think through these relationships, what does it look like to make a decision we can take COVID-19 for for example what, what is it like for you to make the decision whichever way you went of shutting down staying open mask mandate not mask mandate what did that look like your decision making process 
Well, it's a little different in the state of Oklahoma. As a college town, we tend to be that little blue dot in uh, Cleveland County. So we, we tend to be more progressive. Mm-hmm. And I didn't wait for my state government to act. I knew what was coming. If you were paying attention, you had to know <laughs> what was coming. And I decided to listen to medical professionals. And so I like to think that Norman Swift action, very much local control, helped drive action in other cities and eventually the state. And that will always be something that I'm I'm very proud of. The concern there is, though, it becomes competitive Mm -hmm. and that can actually hurt your relationship. So I have been known to say when, when working on state issues, I will either go or I will stay home, whichever one is more helpful because there's actually been certain bills that the state capitol referred to as the Bria Clark bill, because we're, we're troublemakers down here in Norman. Troublemakers or trailblazers? You yeah. know, that's how I look at it. And then same thing with the federal government. I've been disappointed in some of our the federal delegation votes on certain issues around the January 6th riot. And that's very, very frustrating. And I'm not known to be quiet about things that I'm passionate about. But I do have to think about not just Bria being upset, but making sure that I maintain those relationships and I'm civil. So if I need to call our congressman and say, hey, we have an issue. And I actually had that the other day. I had a constituent reach out and say, I need help with my immigration papers. That's a federal issue. And so I had to do an introduction to Congressman Cole's office. And it's the constituents first. And we've had so many issues that people can get so passionate about on both sides that um, it's it's hard to remember that at times. And I, I'm doing my best to improve with that as well. Yeah, you mentioned taking swift action in there too. Of, of, uh, you went fast and it's I'm not necessarily a troublemaker, I'm a trailblazer and I'm doing what I think is best in the moment, listening to the medical professionals. But is it hard for you or was it hard for you to, to stick to the decision when you're being faced with so much criticism? What, is the, what does it take for a leader to do that? Well, it takes, I mean, you got to do your research. So I never had qualms about the decisions I made because it was supported by data and facts. So that, that I think is key. And then you got to stand by your, it's like parenting. You know, if you say something's going to happen, you need to stick with it. But then I also had the support of the Norman community, not everybody, but I was getting emails asking for lockdowns and mask mandates before any of that was in place. So I knew that Norman was ready for it. I know not everybody, but a majority of being a college town again, I think we're, we're prepared for that and we're pleased that I did take action. So it is rough though. I mean, everyone talks about the importance of self-care. It seems like one of those buzzwords like synergy, right? Uh, but that's a real thing too. But self-care never had the priority that it has in my life in the world of COVID-19. I'm probably one of the few people who's actually lost weight and gotten shape during COVID-19 because I made, you know, being physical and exercising a priority because of the help of my mental health. Yeah. And I feel better. I don't mess around with sleep. I get, you know, with two full-time jobs and a family, I often get asked, gosh, you must never sleep. And I'm like, no, I, I sleep plenty. I just don't do other things. Yeah. Don't ask me about Bridgerton because I haven't watched it. You know, like, hey. <laughs> I haven't either. Well, let's talk about that even. You know, the work-life family balance. You, you've got some little kids. You've got two jobs. What does it look like for you to balance? Well, I feel like it's the million-dollar question that people are trying to figure out. How do you balance that? So what does it look like for you? 
I actually wrote my law school graduation requirement paper on how women can't have it all. Mm. And that was before I went into politics. Yeah. Our, our nation is making baby steps on making it easier for women to have it all, but we're nowhere near that yet. We don't have paid leave, like maternity leave. That's insane compared to other civilized nations. And so there are things we can be doing to support women and mothers at the, I mean, looking at gender pay equity, that is a real thing. And representation matters, even though we're technically uh, more than 50% of our population in the nation, only about 20% of mayors in Oklahoma and nationwide are women. So, because it's hard, because we have to balance all of these things and it, it is very, very difficult. And I have room for improvement and my family will tell you that. But uh, <laughs> I try to be present. Yeah. When I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm at City Hall, I'm at City Hall. And when I'm home, I'm home. It's just been more challenging than ever to have those boundaries because of COVID-19. Yeah. My husband would get frustrated and I'm all, what would you have me do? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, can't, I can't control any of this. Yeah. I'm doing the best I can. So, and it's weird. My, my youngest was a year and a half when I first ran for office. So this is all that he's his mind is known as mommy yeah. is at city hall. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's amazing. Uh, I want to talk about kind of crisis leadership. Is there anything that you read, listened to, to, to classes on degrees you got that prepared you for the crisis that you handled through this past year? How do, how can leaders, young leaders prepare for for crisis in the future? Well, I'll tell you, I don't know if there was anything that prepared me for this before COVID-19, but during COVID-19, I applied for and was accepted into the Bloomberg Harvard Leadership Program. I was a part of a new mayor cohort with the Mayor's Innovation Project and also a Women Mayors Network. And having that kind of training during was amazing, but it wasn't so much the training as it was the network. And so that's what I would tell people. You need to have your, your team, your posse, who always has your back. Because when people are telling you how much they hate you, yeah. you're getting death threats. You need to be able to call your best friend and not talk about politics and mm -hmm. talk about real life. And that has been huge, especially the Women Mayors Network. It's very hard to be a mayor right now. Yeah. It's very, very hard to be a female mayor. And these women know what I'm going through. They have a very similar experience, everything from death threats to recall. And I, I don't think I would have survived this emotionally if I hadn't had that kind of network. So for me, that's the self-care, uh, surrounding yourself with people who support you, but also that will call you out when uh, maybe you're, you're not making the best decision for yourself or your community is crucial. And the... Aside from that kind of emotional support during a crisis, you've got to be able to communicate. I think that was, I mentioned my, my social media skills as a millennial mayor. When we pivoted to Zoom and I made update videos that would go on social media, I didn't skip a beat because I was comfortable in that environment. And I know to this day, some of our older mayors still struggle with Zoom. Yeah. So that was a weird bonus to being a millennial mayor in a pandemic is I, I was ready. It, it didn't slow me down at all. But mm -hmm. you've got to communicate. You have to be empathetic. And so when, when people, again, are, are yelling at my face, I often try and put myself in their shoes. Why are they so upset? 
And then the last thing would be, don't take it personally. Someone asked like, how do you keep a day meeting after meeting showing up just to get berated? It's like, they're not yelling at me. They're yelling at the mayor. Yeah. I just happen to be in that seat. They don't know me. I'm a pretty fun gal. If they did, I'm sure we could go hang out. But, yeah. uh, you know, not in the pandemic, of course, but <laughs> taking care of yourself and being able to communicate and not taking things personally are instrumental for surviving a crisis. Mm, that's good. I want to go back kind of to your story. It's something you mentioned earlier. So you, you interned or you worked in the White House for a little bit and you worked in the speaker in Can- with the speaker in Kansas and you thought that your, your political future or whatever it would be would be behind the scenes as a staffer. So what brought you from that point to now being the mayor of Norman? What brought you out of that, that mindset? Timing and yeah. surrounding myself with strong women. <laughs> so uh, when I moved to Norman, and started law school. I had recently, you know, we got engaged my first year, married before my second year, came home from a honeymoon pregnant. And so went through law school with a baby working. It was a disaster. Uh, yeah. I recommend, pro tip, if, it's, if you can avoid it, do not have babies in graduate school. <laughs> but it was what was in our path and we yeah. went with it and I didn't have any family here. So I had no social life in Norman. Mm. It was about pure survival. But once I took the bar exam, it was like freedom. I was Googling things to do and people to meet. Yeah. And I found this mom's club. And one day we we went on a walk and talk with the mayor, with Mayor Cindy Rosenthal. And uh, I pushed my way up to the, the front of the crowd and dominated her conversation. And the transcript, our local paper was actually there and has this great shot of me and her in a deep conversation. I got that kid in the jogging stroller, my Ubi Law shirt on, it's classic. And we found out that she's an Alpha Phi from Northwestern. I'm an Alpha Phi from Wichita State. And I was like, how do I get involved? You know, I'm ready. And yeah. I recommended applying for boards and commissions. And so I started on the tree board, which if you recall, I'm from Kansas, which is a giant prairie. Despite the learning. There's lots of trees in Kansas. <laughs> yes. Then Mayor Rosenthal moved me over to the library board. And I think boards and commissions are a great way to get your feet wet with local yeah. government because you see who the staff members are. You learn how the process works. It's just a, a great way to give back. Mm. And then while I'm doing that, that one-year-old is continuing to grow. And he started kindergarten the year our newest elementary school opened. And I kept harassing the principal, like, when's the PTA going to start? When's the PTA going to start? Because I wanted to be a PTA mom. And uh, she's like, ma'am, I really don't have time for this. I'm opening a school. Why don't you take care of it? And I was like, okay. (laughs) I figured out how to do it. I called the PTA and started a unit and was its first president. Mm -hmm. And then through that position, so PTA kind of gets a bad rap. It's all fundraisers and 50s dances, which... In the state of Oklahoma, where they don't properly fund public education, we do have to do a lot of fundraising, but that's a topic for another day. Mm -hmm. PTA is a national organization. It's the oldest child advocacy organization in the nation. They tackled vaccines, hot lunches, child labor laws. I have worked on high stakes testing in my time in, in PTA. So you've got national, state, district, and then individual units at schools. And so Norman did not have a council which was the district level. And so I went to Oklahoma PTA and to the president, Anna King, and said, well, why doesn't Norman have a council? And I got a very similar response. I don't know. Why don't you do it? It's like, 
Okay. So <laughs> while I'm on boards and commissions, I've now restarted the Norman PTA Council, which is a citywide position. And so I know a lot about every school in Norman now. We joined the Chamber of Commerce because the business community is always a big supporter of public education. And I really started seeing who the players in Norman were. And then we had the Norman Forward Initiative, and I helped to kind of pitch that to parents and help get that passed. And so at this point, I had the most name recognition I've ever had in my, my time in Norman. And it's intriguing to see how this election process went. And my friend, Mayor Rosenthal, asked me to lunch one day and said, hey, you ever thought about running for council? Yeah. I hadn't. But of course, once she said it, it was in my mind and I went for it. And again, that kid was a year and a half. So kind of tough for the family, but timing is everything. And then I did not draw an opponent for my first reelection campaign for Ward 6. So I didn't. I was rested, if you will. I hadn't just done it because the terms are only two years. And Mayor Miller waited gah, until November before a February election to ask if I would be interested in running for mayor. Oh, man. So I joked about it just to mess with people because there was another council member running for mayor. But I wasn't serious about it. It wasn't. I had just taken the job in JCPenney. Yeah. So it wasn't a good time. But then same thing. Once she said it, I was like, oh, Okay. And lo and behold, we won a three-month campaign mm. spring budget, and we just worked really hard. And yeah. here we are today. So again, if it weren't for Anna King, Cindy Rosenthal, and Lynn Miller, I would not be the mayor of Norman. So Cindy Rosenthal actually, we did a, a wonderful women's perspectives at City Hall panel for International Women's Day and Women's History Month. And I joked with her. It's like, yeah, when people are mad at me and hate that I'm mayor, I just tell them to blame Cindy Rosenthal. <laughs> That's right. Well, what would you say to the person who is in your shoes so many years ago that thinks that their future is a is a staffer and staffers' jobs are so important, but they see that position as not being a leader? I'm not necessarily in your, your typical leadership position. I'm a staffer on someone else's staff. What would you say to that person? To encourage them to run or just... Generally. Well, just generally. I'd say you are a leader. Yeah. I mean, your job is to provide information to an elected official to make the best decisions possible. And having that information is crucial, especially in a crisis. And then also make sure you're communicating with constituents on all platforms, because that's my problem. I don't have staff. Yeah. And so I'll have people who get mad at me because I haven't answered their email within two days or... <laughs> the Facebook message they sent a month ago. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. So constituent communication is key and doing the research. If you can back up tough decisions with data, you got nothing to worry about. So yeah. staffers are very much leaders, internal, but very much leaders. All right, well, thank you to, for getting back to my email. I know you have a lot, but I wanna ask you one last question. We love asking all of our leaders, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? If you were to look back on all of your experience, what would you tell your 20 year old self? In terms of college, I would say take more communications classes hmm. because that's crucial. I'm yeah. very grateful that I enjoyed writing and took and ended up having an English minor because in law school, your entire grade is one exam at the end of it. Yeah. You can be the smartest person in the room, but if you can't express yourself with the written word in an intelligent fashion, you're not going to go very far. And same thing, I think, with politics. So, but then communication, learning how to connect or like psychology, you know, figuring out how people work. 
So that would be, I think, a practical tip. I think a personal tip would be you're better than you think you are. Mm. Give yourself some grace and don't put anything on social media. Social media was a thing after my college days. So, but I've seen so many people find tweets and comments from 20 years ago. So, yeah. You really got to be careful. Well, thank you so much, Mayor Clark. It's been an honor to speak with you and we've learned a ton and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for reaching out. Of course.